I'm so grateful for the powerful hymns and choruses of our faith that we can lift up to our Lord this morning, affirming uh, who we are in Him and who He is for us. If you're a member of Traveler's Rest, First Baptist, excuse me, Taylor's First Baptist Church, I live in Traveler's Rest. <laughs> if you are a member of this congregation, you received from me this week a letter in which I told you that in all my years of ministry, and they have been a few, I have never walked through a week quite like the one we have been through as a church family. Now, if you are here this morning and you're not a member of this congregation or you're joining us online, you may not know what I'm referring to, so just to sort of bring all of us together on the same page this morning, let me just relate that over these past 10 days, we lost four of our precious senior adults, two couples, Mike and Nancy Cook, Bill and Marcia Norman, they were killed in a tragic and absolutely senseless automobile accident in Greer on Highway 14 as they were on their way together to have dinner. Then early this past Tuesday morning, three 16-year-olds, John Parker Tollison, Emma Calder, and Grant Harrelson, all three students at Wade Hampton High School, as Josh has mentioned, were in a devastating automobile accident on North Pleasantburg Drive in Greenville. Grant, who was a member of this church, part of our student ministry, part of our student choir, passed away this past Wednesday night. Emma passed away early Thursday morning. These families, our church family, Wade Hampton High School, our community ha have been devastated by these deaths. And as a pastor, I, I just... I've just got to tell you, there has never been a time I have felt more inadequate. There has never been a time when I have felt more helpless. There has never been a time when I have realized my own lack of wisdom is to try to help someone navigate through the unimaginable. And I have struggled as you have. I have grieved as you have. I have cried out to God as you have. These things 
that have happened are tragedies. And tragedy always leaves a multitude of unanswered questions rattling around in our minds and our hearts and our spirits. We search for answers. We grope for words. We try to make sense of that which cannot be made sense of. We struggle for something to hold on to. Ultimately, even as believers, we must face the fact that God has promised us neither escape from nor explanation for the tragedies and sufferings and heartaches of life that seem to come our way and have come our way with more regularity than we would have ever envisioned in our worst nightmares. But what God does promise us, and He promises us this morning something very significant. He promises us His grace and His peace. He promises us His strength and His help. He promises us His presence and His power. And He promises us that if we will walk with Him by faith today, then one day, all of the questions we have right now will be answered. Every question you have today will be answered. Church, that is not speculation. That is not conjecture. That is not some kind of false hope. That is a promise from the Word of God that if we will walk with Him by faith today, one day every mystery will be cleared up. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to point you to this promise. It's found in a chapter you may not expect to find it in. The great 13th chapter of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, this great chapter on love, what love is, how love acts, what it looks like in the lives of God's people. And we read through all of these things about love, and then we come to verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I want to read it to you this morning from the New Living Translation because I like the way It is phrased for us there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, Paul writing says, Now we see things imperfectly, like a puzzling reflection in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. 
But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Listen to me, God, uh, Paul is trying to tell us something powerful in these verses and he is doing it by way of drawing a contrast. Twice he uses the word now and twice he uses the word then. Do you see that? He says, now I see things imperfectly like a puzzling reflection in a mirror. He says, all I know now is partial and complete. But then, he says, then I will see with perfect clarity. Then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. You see, in Paul's day, there were no glass mirrors like the ones that grace so many places in our homes, the, the mirrors we get up uh, and look into first thing in the morning to check our appearance before we head out for the day. No, the, probably the highest quality mirror a person in Paul's day could have owned would have been some kind of polished piece of brass. And at the very best, it would give off only a distorted and fuzzy an unclear image. And Paul grabs hold to this reality in his world, and he reminds us that in this life, the way we see things is very limited. We cannot understand all the things that happen in our world. We cannot understand all the things that happen to us. We cannot understand all the things that happen to those we love. Tragedy does not make sense. Oh, but there's a day coming, Paul tells us. There is a day coming when all the mysteries of life will be cleared up. There's a day coming when we'll see these things with perfect clarity. We will understand them with perfect and complete knowledge and full comprehension. That day will be the day when we stand before our Lord Jesus, either when we ourselves die or when he returns to this earth in glory and power, whichever of those things comes first. Paul says on that day, everything that to us today is so incomprehensible and nonsensical. Everything that assaults our feelings this morning and ravages our emotions. Everything that threatens to overwhelm our minds and crush our hearts and our spirits. Everything we do not understand now we'll understand then. We will be able to see God's hand at work, we will be able to discern his purposes in a way we simply cannot today. And as I think about this promise that one day all the mysteries of life will be cleared up, there are at least three things that God brought to my mind that his word says will be cleared up fully, finally, and forever on that day when we stand before him. And here's the first. 
the mystery of suffering is going to be cleared up on that day. The mystery of suffering is going to be cleared up on that day. When when we go through the kinds of tragedies that we have been through, when these things happen, our, our natural and often most immediate reaction is to ask, why? Why? We can see no reason behind it. We're, we're overwhelmed by the mystery of it. We are devastated by the reality that confronts us. This is not new for us. Throughout all of history, mankind has been mystified by suffering. And throughout the ages, men have cried out to God for an answer. In the Old Testament, Gideon, puzzled and perplexed, confused and confounded by the mystery of suffering when he saw his own nation, the people of God, being overrun time and time again by their enemies. In Judges 6.13, he cries out, and you know what he says? He asks a question, and this is the question. If the Lord is with us, how can these things happen to us? You ever ask that question? I mean, can we just drop the facade this morning? I've asked it. I've asked it a hundred times this week. Lord, if you're with us, what in the world is going on? Why are all these things happening? We're your people. If you're honest... I bet you've asked that question somewhere, sometime, in some way. As we try to make sense of tragedy, the psalmist, I mean, he wasn't immune. He he made confession of his own confusion and incredulousness, his perplexity of spirit in Psalm 73. Listen to what he said. (laughs) But as for me... But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no struggles and their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to men and they're not plagued by human ills. See, see, he was asking the question that's been asked for generations. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to God's people? When, when, When he looked at the prosperity of the wicked and compared it to the suffering of the righteous, it posed such a dilemma for him that he says, I almost slipped and fell away from God. Even the Son of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ was perplexed by the 
workings of his own heavenly father when as he hung on the cross he cried out you remember the question my God my God why have you forsaken me I am your son today we we ask the same question do we not And I want to give you some freedom this morning. It is okay to ask God why tragic things happen. He is not going to be offended. It is not going to knock him off his throne. But just don't be surprised if he doesn't give you an answer. Because in this life, we must live by faith. We must keep trusting God and relying on God even when we don't understand. We must keep believing that God loves us, that nothing will ever separate us from his care. We must keep trusting that one day God will explain to us why he allowed Mike and Nancy, Bill and Marcia, Grant and Emma to be taken at this time and in this way. One day he'll explain that. One day it will be made clear. One day we will understand. Today we look in a mirror and all we see is this puzzling, fuzzy, very unclear, very unsettling reflection. But one day that mystery will be cleared up. One day, God will explain. And we will see where his hand was at work. But not only will the mystery of suffering be cleared up on that day, praise God, the mystery of death itself will be cleared up on that day. The Bible says and men have affirmed that death is the oldest and most persistent enemy of man. And it is an enemy. It's an enemy that every one of us must face should our Lord not return first. George Bernard Shaw said, the statistics of death are incredibly impressive. One out of one dies. The Word of God agrees, Hebrews 9, 27. Every human being is appointed to die once and then to face God's judgment. Now, we know something uh, as believers, don't we? We know that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, death itself has been conquered. We know that at death, God's people go immediately into his presence. And we know that when Christ returns to this earth, every grave we close and every grave we have ever closed will be opened and these bodies will be resurrected. And for those who know Christ, we will be ushered into his presence in eternity. We know all of this, but there is still a mystery that surrounds death. 
It, it, it brings such incredible feelings of loss, such piercing anguish and sense of grief. It reaches down and it robs us of a husband or wife, a mother or father, a child, a friend. And then it leaves us to struggle alone with our pain. And yet, death is part of God's purpose for our lives. Listen to these verses. Psalm 116.15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Philippians 1, 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know what all of that means. I can't, I can't explain every nuance of that to you right now. The hurt and the pain and the, the, the loss cause us to see only faintly as if we're looking into some kind of brass mirror that gives us this puzzling, incomprehensible reflection. But I want you to know this. God's Word says... When we stand before our Lord, even death is going to look different. We're going to see it in a new light. We're going to understand that God was at work. Well, not only will the mystery of suffering be cleared up on that day, and not only will the mystery of Death, wretched enemy that it is, be cleared up on that day. But the mystery of eternity is going to be cleared up on that day. And we talk about eternity, we sing about eternity. I don't know how to explain eternity. I know this, if the Bible speaks of anything at all, it speaks to the fact that this earthly life is not all that there is. In fact, this earthly life is not even the major part of all that there is. In fact, it is only a tiny, infinitesimal, almost incalculable, minuscule part of all there is to life because the Word of God speaks, and it speaks clearly of a place called heaven. It speaks of an eternity in the presence of God for all who know him. It speaks of a place, praise God, where there will no longer be any death. No crying, no more pain, no more tragedy. It speaks of a place where we will not only see our Savior face to face, but we will be reunited with those believers who have preceded us to that place. 
But I can't tell you what eternity is going to be like. Our finiteness does not allow us to fully comprehend the eternal. But I can tell you this, if there's a verse that needs to indelibly print itself in your heart and in your mind today, it is 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul writes and he says, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart has conceived or even imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And he is talking about eternity. What God has in store for those who love him is something we cannot even imagine, but one day we will experience it. Jeff and Kara, one day we'll experience it. Even, even as Grant is experiencing it today. You know that. We believe that. We trust in that. We look forward to seeing that reality. There is much that remains a mystery to us in this life. But there is one thing we know. Josh, I appreciate you referencing this this morning. I got to tell you, It is one of the hardest verses in all of Scripture to believe at a time like this. But we will cling to it with all of our hearts. Romans 8, 28. I want to read it from the contemporary English version. We know, we know that God is always at work for the good of everyone who loves Him. Why? Because they're the ones God has chosen for His purpose. Be very careful here. Paul does not say all things are good. Some things are tragedies. But God says, I can take that tragedy and redeem it. I can take that tragedy and transform it. I can bring good out of it because I can take the worst of things and turn them and manage them and manipulate them to accomplish my great purposes in the lives of those I have called to be my own. If you doubt that, just think about Jesus. That is exactly what God did when evil men took his one and only son and murdered him in that moment of unspeakable tragedy and anguish when Jesus hung on Calvary's cross when the day was so dark that the sun itself hid its face. God was redeeming a lost world. Philip Yancey in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, says this, quote, It should not surprise us that God uses bad things as the raw material for fashioning good. The very symbol of our faith, that which we now stamp in gold and wear around our necks or chisel from stone and place atop our churches, is a replica of a Roman execution device. God did not save Jesus from the cross, but ironically, he has saved countless others through the cross of Christ. Church, in history's darkest moment, God was doing his greatest work of all, and he's at work today. 
even in this tragic time we walk through. That, that illustration, or an illustration of that, is, is beautifully found in the Old Testament story of Joseph. You remember that story. Joseph had 11 brothers who hated him. They plotted against him. They, they wanted to kill him. They finally sold him into slavery after spending many years as a slave, many years as a prisoner. God raised Joseph up, placed him as second in command over all of Egypt, and used him to provide food for the entire world during a time of great famine. You might remember when Joseph was brought face to face again with those brothers who had hated him, who had plotted against him, who had sought to kill him. Joseph could have taken revenge. He could have done anything. But he said in Genesis 50, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good so that what is now being done is for the purpose of saving many lives. See, what the world, what Satan, what evil designs to harm and for harm God can take and use it for incredible good in the lives of those who love Him and those who have been called out to be part of His purposes. So whatever else we may say about tragedy this morning in the lives of God's people, we will proclaim today with every ounce of our energy and every fiber of our being that tragedy does not have the final word. Suffering does not have the final word. Death does not have the final word. Yes, today we see a very poor and fuzzy reflection. Now we only know in part. So we find ourselves in much the same position as, as Jesus' earliest followers did. If you read through Jesus' ministry, you'll see that, that he was really at the height of his popularity when suddenly many people began to turn away from following him because suddenly his teachings had become hard. They were difficult for some to understand. So Jesus turned to his disciples in John chapter 6, verse 67. As, as so many left Jesus, he turned to his disciples and he said, How about you guys? Will you also go away? In other words, when the hard times come, when the costly times come, when things you have to go through seem to be more than you can possibly bear, are you also going to turn away? And Simon Peter, who so often got it wrong, <laughs> this time got it exactly right. As he turned to Jesus and he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Comes down to that for us today, you know. There's nowhere else for us to go. There's only one person who has the answers to the mysteries of life, the mystery of suffering, the, the mystery of death, the mystery of eternity. And one day he promises us we will see with perfect clarity. One day we will understand with complete comprehension 
And I, I, I tell you, I just, I can't, I can't say it any better than the hymn writer put it in one of the great and most powerful hymns of our faith when he wrote and he said, O Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be made sight. When the clouds, not, not, just, the, not just the clouds of the heaven, I think, but but, but the clouded thinking of our finite minds, those clouds be rolled back like a scroll. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, and then it will be well with my soul. We don't see everything clearly today, do we? But it's okay. Because one day, we will. One day, we will know completely. Even as today, God completely knows us. He knows your heart. He knows your hurt. He knows your struggle. And He has promised to meet every single need according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we confess to You today our finiteness, our lack of comprehension, our hurt, struggle. Our questions that reveal not our doubt of you, but our own human inability to discern so many times what you are doing, especially in, in times of tragedy. So God... Will you take our broken hearts and our crushed spirits and though you may not give us answers today, will you lift our eyes toward that great hope and understanding and conviction from your word that one day, oh one day, we will see clearly. One day we will understand completely. And we will praise you throughout the eons of eternity for your goodness and your grace and your incredible purposes that right now are just beyond our ability to understand. And Lord, I know the things that we've been dealing with over this past week are multiplied many, many times across this congregation 
gathered here and across the lives of those who are listening in remotely. We have all had, or certainly, if you linger, Lord, will have our own share of tragedy and suffering, having to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And so, Lord, may this word not only be comfort to us in this moment and in these circumstances, but, Lord, may it garrison us, prepare us, equip us for those things that may yet be to come over which you will still exercise sovereignty and control, over which you will still be working out things for our ultimate good and your ultimate glory. So Lord, I pray right now over my brothers and sisters in Christ gathered here and in homes and other places, wherever they may be. And Lord, would you just do a great work in us today? And may you do it for your kingdom's sake and for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to we're going to sing. So let me ask you to stand with me if you would. I want you to know these altars are open this morning for you if, if, if you just need to come and pray. Um, if I can pray with you over something, I would be honored to do that and I, I will do that. Let me say this. If you're here this morning and you don't have that anchor in your life, in the person of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about trying to be a good person. I'm not talking about trying to set a good example. I'm talking about having given your heart and your life wholly and completely to this one who went to a cruel cross and suffered for you so that what you could not do for yourself Obtain the forgiveness of your sin. Enter into a relationship with God. What you could not do for yourself, He did for you. And He took the penalty of your sin upon Himself. And if you don't know Him this morning in a personal life-changing way, would you consider this morning that this may have been a divine moment in your life where God has spoken to you and is drawing you to His Son? And would you just come and Take my hand this morning and say, Alan, I just, I need Jesus in my life. I don't understand what all it means. That's okay. I'll, there's nothing more pressing on my schedule this morning that I can't spend some time with you and others here spend some time with you talking you through that. Be the greatest decision you'll ever make. Make all the difference in your life here and certainly in eternity. Maybe just God's spoken to you in some way in in this message. You just want to come pray. I I don't know, but we're going to sing this together. And if you need to come down here and take my hand and share anything with me, you feel free to do that as we sing together and we'll, um, we'll give this time to the Lord. So let's worship Him.